subscribe and rate it. Five stars. Thanks to MindBloom for supporting our podcast. It's time to enter the next chapter of mental health and well-being. Let MindBloom guide you. MindBloom is offering our listeners $100 off your first six-session program when you sign up at MindBloom.com slash Bigfoot and use promo code Bigfoot at checkout. Be sure to type the promo code Bigfoot with all lowercase letters. Bobo, how you doing, man? Good, good. I just uh, got back from a beach walk. Oh, nice. You're in Southern California with your parents again, right? But uh, I had to postpone that for a few more days. I'm still back up in Humboldt in betwixt storms. Yeah, man. Uh, um, big storms are coming in right now, aren't they? Yeah, we got rock last night. I was super psyched because I missed the last ones, and this one was good. It was shaking the whole house and rattling stuff. It was it was great. Yeah, I, I saw some uh, Twitter thing yesterday. I, I scrolled through the news, and it led me to Twitter, actually, in this case. But I scrolled through the news, and some, and there was this big rescue at the mouth of the Columbia River, which, as you know, can be extraordinarily gnarly. It's crazy out there. Um, some yacht got capsized out there right right in the middle of a um, Coast Guard rescue. And, and a weird news item, and um, you'll see why I, it grabbed my attention. Because, you know, that kind of thing happens sometimes out there. It's a, that's a boat graveyard in a lot of ways. I've gone in and out of there. How oh, have you? It must be, I've fished right there at the mouth, but it was a very nice day when I was fishing. A crabbing actually out there at the mouth, and it was very nice. But I've heard yeah, average day, six to ten foot swells and stuff. It's like, really? Crab? That's average? That's insane. It gets way bigger than that, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it was bigger than that at this little video I watched at the Coast Guard thing. Um, I, I like the Coast Guard Twitter feed or whatever. But I, I actually caught this for the news item, like I said, because apparently the guy that they rescued off the boat was wanted. He had, uh, I think, previously, for some reason, this is Astoria, right? Astoria, Oregon. Um, he had, for some reason, left a dead fish on the porch of the Goonies house, <laughs> which is kind of a weird thing to do. I don't know why somebody would do that. Uh, maybe it's part of the movie. I don't remember that part of the movie, but uh, like, yeah, I'm going to leave this dead fish on the porch. And then, and then a couple of days later, he was out in a yacht and <laughs> that capsized and he had to be rescued. And then they let him go. They didn't know it was him and they arrested him and say, well, what a weird what a, what a strange um, uh, number of ingredients for a news item in that one. Kind of caught my eye in a peculiar way. But um, there's other news going on. Man, I, I, I know it's been a couple of days since I talked to you, but I, I cast three footprints yesterday. Oh, you did? I did. Three footprints of two different individuals. No way. Do you have to send me pictures of those right now? Oh, right now? I can do that on my phone. Sure. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, for... We can also post that to the members section if uh, if any of our members are listening to this episode, which I, I'm assuming most of them are. You can go to the members section on this, and we can you can see a couple of those footprints. Pretty exciting day yesterday. Yeah, I'm pumped. I wasn't even there. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, there you go, man. But anyway, exciting times, man. Exciting times. I feel like I'm back on the back in the wagon a little bit in some ways, you know, because uh, stuff's happening again, and patterns are starting. Patterns are starting, man. Well, anyway, I think that's all I got, man. Do you want to jump into the, the stuff we're doing today? Yeah. Yeah, there's some interesting stuff. 
Yeah, yeah. This is we we try to do these occasionally. Um, we don't really. We're, I don't think we're really disciplined to do it once a month. But you know, it's been a couple months since we've done this. Where our topical issues, where uh, you know, Cliff and Bob's talk about various news items that caught our attention over time. We have a lot of news items, and you know, there's a lot of fun stuff to talk about. And and we're going to talk about not only the news items, but uh, how they pertain to Bigfoot. Because you know, when you're when you're as deep into the subject as we are, so many things can be directly related to Sasquatch if you try at all. And um, some of these items are pretty interesting, um, whether they're about Sasquatches or otherwise. So, um, Bobo, um, would you like to choose one to start with? Sure. I like that the chimps use individual drumbeats to identify each other up to like a kilometer away from each other. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a really cool one. That one comes from the Daily Mail. And let's see if it has a date on this. Uh, I don't know. It's a couple weeks ago. February 5th, 2023. There you go, February fifth, twenty twenty three, and it's basically a news article. Uh, scientists, um, primatologists, uh, have been studying wild uh, chimpanzees, and they find that they can they basically have their own signature drum beats to identify themselves to other. Well, we assume to identify um, themselves to other troop members, but whether or not they're intending to do that, that's one of the results. And it's becomes they have such distinct patterns of drumming and noise making that even humans have now learned to differentiate between the chimpanzee individuals doing the beating, which is pretty cool, man. Um, yeah, because uh, like Meldrum was at the house a couple weeks ago, and and he's still on the fence about even, even tree knocking at this point, you know, because I don't think what? he's heard it for himself. Yeah, I don't think he's really heard it for himself in some ways. And maybe I'm wrong, Dude. but um, yeah, yeah, but he's open to it. And I say, well, there's a Rwandan study, you know, those Rwandan swamp gorillas um, were studied, you know, and then they, you know, his thing is, I, I don't think he's heard a report of some of, of a Sasquatch doing it, which is my thing about tree structures, right? So I can, I can sympathize with him um, or empathize with them rather. Um, since people have not reported Sasquatches making tree structures and like people have not, there aren't 20 reports of people visually seeing these things. I have some doubts whether they do it or not. Right. And I think that's understandable. Um, but I have picked up two reports over time of them hitting, of Sasquatches hitting a tree with another piece of wood or something. And then three reports of them clapping, um, which is how the Rwandan gorillas make their noises. Um, and I, th- I think Sasquatches do both of those things and maybe even go with their mouth or something. They probably don't do any one thing. They probably do a lot of different things. Um, and that's something that came up when I was reading this article is uh, these chimpanzees are making these drum beats that can be heard from a kilometer away, like 0.6 miles, a little over half a mile away at least. And the way they do it is they take their hands and feet because they have feet like that and they uh, bang against trees. Which is something that, again, that Sasquatches are probably doing that too, because certainly Sasquatches bang against the outside of houses. We've got the handprints to prove it. Yep, yep. Yeah, it's only the males do it too. I didn't pick that up. Only the males, huh? Yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. I did not pick that up from the article. That's interesting. Generally speaking, the, what the researchers think they're trying to convey is who this is and what they're doing at the time, which I totally buy that for Sasquatches. Although with Sasquatches doing the tree knocks, like one knock, I'm not, I mean, that's not really a pattern. I mean, it is a pattern, but that's not a pattern that one could identify themselves with. But Sasquatches don't live in as large of social group as chimpanzees do. So they may not need to differentiate individuals just because like, 
I'm over here, and generally the the, the group of Sasquatches, whatever they're called, uh, they're probably not a troop, probably not a tribe, certainly not a, a murder or an ostentation, of, you know, like in peacocks or something, um, a herd. Um, but uh, they're, I think I imagine most of the group probably knows approximately where the individuals are anyway. You know, I don't know. That's just my guess, though. Yeah, it's interesting because they uh, all the researchers wondered why the chimpanzees would greet each other, but very rarely say goodbye. And I think that this explains it because they, they're not saying goodbye because they're going to be still in contact through the drumming. Yeah, yeah. I found that to be super interesting as well. Because, uh, you know, I've, I've heard Sasquatches up in the Sierra Nevada mountains and other places kind of sweeping a valley. I'm assuming that they were hunting. I'm not really sure what they were doing. You know, kind of sweeping through a valley and knocking back and forth to one another, which to me is an indication of like, I'm here. Where are you? Sort of thing. Um, which I, I think is a, probably a lot of that 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 sort of behavior. Because um, the Sasquatches, I'm pretty confident at this point, based on personal observations and reports, that they're keeping track of everybody by listening, not by keeping an eye on them. I don't think they're watching us. I think that they're listening for us. Like the chimpanzees drum more often when they're alone or in a very small group. Yeah, which which is a way Bigfoot's roll. They're either alone or in small groups. Yeah. So, and, and that would explain the prevalence of knocking and whatnot. And also, um, something else they mentioned is, is that a lot of times the, the, the pounding with their hands and feet is accompanied by pan hoots, which is the, the, the chimpanzee version of whoops, basically. Yeah. So that would, I think that would probably help, um, individual, like, uh, identify individuals over space, you know, um, cause, uh, remember B Mills when she was on the, um, on the podcast with us playing her recordings that she got out of Southeast Ohio, she believes that she's being, she's able now to recognize individuals by their voice, just like I am working really hard to in, identify individuals by their footprints. Yep. Good point. No reason that all this can't be true, right? It, you know, it's going to be interesting to see like, uh, cause they know the chimps individual personality is pretty good. And some of them are more like straight ahead. Some of the some of them drum like a you know straight ahead rock drummer just in time, and then the other ones are more syncopated like jazz drummers. So it'd be interesting to see like how the ones that drum like the jazz drummers how they interact in the group versus the ones that are more like straight ahead rock and roll. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Like you think the rock and roll ones are like have, have better hair? <laughs> Undoubtedly, but the, the syncopated ones probably a little more intellectual. Yeah, yeah, wearing suits. <laughs> that sort of thing like very classy you know classy uh, drummers and whatnot so bow ties mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah well it's, it's a gig it's a different kind of gig you know you're playing a restaurant versus playing on a stage so yeah you also saw looking at those chimpanzee sections was the interesting was that they found a mother chimp tending to the wound of her son's sub-adult foot she would chew on a insect and pack it in the in the cut like she was treating it with it Oh, it said it catch. They couldn't tell it. Kind of, it was a large insect flying by, and she grabbed it, put it in her mouth, then put it in the 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 baby's foot wound, then pulled it back out, put it in her mouth again, and then put it back in the the foot twice. Really? Well, you know that, uh, the spit part I understand because look at what look what happened to you in the <laughs> Yeah, yeah. When, when the shaman uh, spat upon your wound that wouldn't heal, and and again that didn't that didn't work, did it? It didn't hurt. Oh, that's good. That's good. Um, but the insect part, I, 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 now why? That's so odd. What would be true? They said it, it could be. They said it could be uh, either like it could have some kind of pain relief in it, possibly like some chemical that the insect has, or it could be a, a cleansing. It could have some cleansing agent in it. 
Yeah, I guess it's entirely possible. Yeah, the insect, that's not herbalism, but it's something like that, insectism. Or it's the world's worst chimpanzee mother. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like it's like, Mom, I cut myself. Come here, I'll get some I'll get some roly polies from the garden. <laughs> and mush them up and put them in there for you. My eye hurts. No. Call CPS Chimp Protective Services. <laughs> yeah, but chimpanzees are well known to be to use herbs for various medicinal uses. Yeah, so why not insects? I guess. I mean, I don't know how you find that one out. But um yeah, that's interesting. Anyway, that, that's the first news item. Let's talk about the Neanderthal stuff because um, the, the, the article that was on there, it talked about how, um, well, let's see, let's pull it up. It's uh, the 50,000-year-old DNA from Neanderthals. They got a bunch of DNA, full genome sequence from some Neanderthals, basically, is the, the gist here. Yeah, th- this article is from, is from Live Science, and, and it's, uh, it's from October 2022, so it's kind of old here. But that's okay, because there's an interesting twist that surfaced in the news this past week or two weeks ago. Basically, they, 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 they got 13 complete genomes sequenced from one location. Um, and it was in Germany, I believe. I could be wrong about that. Um, but yeah, it was Europe, obviously, they're Neanderthals. So they, they, they uh, got some Neanderthal DNA, and they, they had enough to sequence 13 complete genomes, which is huge to begin with, because that almost doubled the number of complete genomes we have on record now. So that there, so there's probably 25 or 30 of these things complete now, and 13 of them came from this one spot, and 13 from one spot from one group. Well, that's pretty interesting because they're they're probably related somehow or the same clan or something at least. Um, and from from analyzing their DNA, um, they figured out that okay, well, this is probably one family, and then when when you get a family going, you, you start learning about their ancestors and their other groups. And basically, what what the long and short of it is, at the end of it all, they figured okay, these things Neanderthals probably lived in groups that were kind of closely biologically related in some sort of way, and probably they twenty or so individuals or perhaps fewer. Okay. So that that came out, and that's interesting because how do we, you know, what other ways do we have to learn about the social structure of extinct hominins, right? Or possibly extinct hominins, possibly not extinct hominins. We'll see. Um, I, I kind of wonder about those almasties in Eastern Europe being relic populations, the Neanderthals. But anyway, so twenty or, or or fewer individuals. Okay, sure. But check this out, and this wasn't on the list, so if you don't know about this, uh, I'm not surprised, but maybe you heard about it. Um, a week or two ago, a news item came out where uh, researchers in Germany pulled out over 3,000 remains of this extinct elephant called the straight tusk elephant. Um, and this is in Germany. And uh, over 3,000 bones from about 70 or so individuals of these elephants, right? Um and what they found when they pulled, and they've already looked at this stuff, they've already cataloged these, but they pulled these things off the shelf and started looking cl- more closely at them. And what they found is that there are um, marks from marks from you know tools butchering these these elephants, and uh, and these and based on the time and the location, about one hundred and twenty five thousand years ago. By the way, the by far the most likely culprit is are the Neanderthals um, to have uh, massacred and cleaned these elephants 
Now what the now why this okay we've all seen the drawings and stuff of cavemen attacking mastodons and all that sort of stuff you know this kind of a, a motif in in like Pleistocene art or whatever if Pleistocene is the right time frame I'm not even sure I have to talk to Nico about that but what they found was that these these scrape marks these tool marks that uh, are clear indications of some sort of hominin using tools to get the meat and the delicious yummies off of the bone they were pretty prevalent pretty prevalent. And um, they they took a lot, like er, almost every usable piece of every edible usable piece off of these elephants was scraped off, um, and, which would take a tremendous amount of work. Two, they estimate two hundred to six hundred hours of work to get all the meat off of these things and all the usable parts off of these things. If that was done by one person, and that would supply two thousand five hundred daily proportions of 4,000 calories each. Now, clearly, one person is not bringing down an elephant. And so clearly, one person is not enjoying this bounty. But it does kind of start drawing into question this estimate of 20 or fewer individuals. Because doing the math, um, that amount of meat would feed 25 people for three months every day or 100 people for one month, or about 350 people for a week. So using those numbers, and we're thinking, okay, is that even possible for like one, like a small, like three or four people to bring down um, one of these elephants uh, repeatedly over and over again? I don't know. But may, maybe, maybe these things lived in larger groups, or maybe these things gathered in larger groups under certain circumstances. Like occasionally, like maybe for some genetic flows, basically some sexiness to get to get it on with other tribe, other tribes in other areas, or who knows. But um, but now it's kind of drawn this stuff into question. Now more information is needed, but I think that's really cool too. So are these the small fifteen member bands roaming around like we've always pictured, or is, what other sort of social uh, engagement did they have? Did they live in groups of seventy five, a hundred, maybe? Who knows? But more information, more data is needed. And I thought that was really neat. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. After 10 years of anxiety, I can finally see the light at the end of the tunnel. That's a testimonial from Mindbloom customer Molly. 10 years. Just think about that. If you don't live with anxiety and depression... It's easy to just look at someone, maybe someone you love, and wonder why they just can't get up and get going and fix themselves. Or maybe you're wondering this about yourself. You see others living their life when you'd settle for one day without feeling everything's collapsing in on you. It's hard, but it doesn't have to be that way. MindBloom knows this and can help you. MindBloom is the leader in at-home ketamine therapy, offering a combination of science-backed medicine with clinician and guide support for people looking to improve their mental health and well-being. MindBloom connects patients to licensed psychiatric clinicians to help them achieve better outcomes with lower costs, greater convenience, and an artfully crafted experience. To begin, take MindBloom's online assessment to determine if MindBloom is right for you. If approved, you'll schedule a video consult with a licensed clinician where you'll discuss your goals and expectations for mental health treatment. MindBloom will send you a kit in the mail complete with medicine, treatment materials, and tips for getting the most out of your experience. 
After only two sessions, 87% of MindBloom clients reported improvements in depression, and 85% reported improvements in anxiety. It's time to enter the next chapter in mental health and well-being. Let MindBloom guide you. Right now, MindBloom is offering our listeners $100 off your first six-session program when you sign up at mindbloom.com slash Bigfoot and use promo code Bigfoot at checkout. Go to mindbloom.com slash Bigfoot, promo code Bigfoot, for $100 off your first six-session program today. That's mindbloom.com Bigfoot, promo code Bigfoot. Be sure to type the promo code Bigfoot with all lowercase letters. Uh, I also found it interesting that it was only 60 miles from the Denisova cave where the Denisovans were discovered, and they don't think they ever mingled. Oh, that, that is interesting. And of course, Denisovans are a, a fairly new species of hominin. I mean, they're not new because they're around hundreds of thousands of years ago, but um, it's kind of the poster child for uh, interesting uses of DNA um, because the Denisovan cave is where they found that finger bone. And they found a fossilized finger bone that had enough DNA in it. When they tested it, they thought it was going to be Neanderthal, but it wasn't. It was a new thing they'd never seen before. Um, and now there's a couple other instances of getting DNA of Denisovans. One of the, my, my favorite is they tested the dirt on the bottom of a, uh, on, the, on the floor of a cave um, that never showed any, that, that the cave shows no sign whatsoever of being inhabited ever, but they just tested dirt. And they got not only Denisovan, but Neanderthal DNA out of the soil using eDNA techniques. Now, I think that's fascinating, which shows that's a lot amazing. of promise for the Sasquatch. Yeah. And now, you know what else is cool? And I think also has direct bearing on Sasquatches in some ways. Um, some person started going through the files at various museums and they actually, they found that, oh my God, we had a Denisovan jawbone, a mandible. I think if I remember correctly, it was uh, collected in the mid 1980s and mislabeled as I think Neanderthal. But turns out, upon further scrutiny, we actually have been sitting on a Denisovan a mandible since the 1980s. That's kind of cool because I mean we've talked a couple times, Bobo, about possible um, misidentified bones in some drawer in a museum somewhere that they we might have Sasquatch bones somewhere. Oh, definitely. I think it's it's it's, uh, it's got to be a given, you know. What other animals might be mis, uh, misidentified as a Sasquatch if he didn't have all the pieces? What do you think? In North America? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Obviously a very large human. Yeah, yeah. Some human bone or something like might be misidentified as that. You know, there's an example of that over here on the Columbia River. There's a, an island up there by the Dalles in Memelus Park, I think it's called. And Memelus, of course, means place of the dead in the local um, indigenous vernacular there. Uh, Memelus park. Uh, I think it's over by the Dalles. Yeah, it's just shy of the Dalles, just west. And there's an island out there that um, the native people in the in that area, when someone would die, they would uh, paddle them out to this island and basically leave their body out in various ways, in various you know ceremonial ways. Some of them were kept in small houses, like longhouses sort of things, small longhouses. Um, and some of them were just left out in the open. Um, and uh, and when, I think Lewis and Clark, when they were coming down yeah, when they're coming downstream, uh, the wind was in their face, and they said they could smell them from quite a distance. So it wasn't a pretty thing. But um, th these islands, uh, and the island is mostly submerged now. Some of it is above above water, but um, since they built the dam and stuff, you know, the, the water fluctuates quite dramatically. Um, but this place had hundreds, thousands probably of um, individuals over time um, left there. I almost said buried there, but they weren't buried. They're left on the field. And there's a pioneer woman. And then the, about the year 1900, she was a, a little girl at the time. 
there's an article. And she was brought out to the island by her uncle, if I remember correctly. And um, and because the white people would like forage for stuff and like basically steal from the native people who were there. Um, they, like they'd pick up beads and various shell jewelry and whatever, whatever else the native people buried their ancestors in, you know, it's unfortunate, but it was a much less enlightened time back then. Um, and so, uh, this little girl went out there with her uncle, I believe, and they were, they're kind of looking around at the bones and basically tripping out, you know? Um, and then her uncle said, yeah, look at this. This is that giant's, um, jawbone. And there was a, a giant mandible, like a, a, and a skull, actually a complete skull because the, the, this little girl in her diary wrote, we all know how the giant died. He was shot in the head. So there must've been a, a cranium or something where you could see a bullet hole. But, um, she said that the mandible measured 13 inches Unfortunately, she didn't tell us if it me- if it measured 13 inches from side to side or if that was the circumference around the jaw, but in any case, it's quite large. Quite That's large. It's huge. Totally huge. Totally huge for a mandible? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, so yeah, there that's, that's an example of a possible Sasquatch remain, um, being misidentified as a native person's remain, you know, if it was thrown on the Island or it's, it's po- possible as bad measurement, it's also possible that it's an extraordinarily large human. Cause those happen too. There's a mineral skull piece too. Oh yeah. The stuff moneymaker did all that work on. Yeah. Yeah, that minaret skull is really interesting. Moneymaker did a lot, of, a lot of work on that when he was at UCLA. And for people who are unfamiliar with the minaret skull, uh, um, check out the link in the in the show notes, man, because it's a really fascinating story. Um, Moneymaker did some excellent research back in the day. I mean, he does good stuff now, don't get me wrong. But back in the day, this is a really intriguing um, thread that he pulled pretty hard at. So if you're not familiar with it, check it out. It's neat. There's actually an interview with one of the gentlemen that was involved in that whole recovery of the skull fragment and it's on youtube you can look in the show notes if you want to check it out it's really interesting so let's go on the next news item and uh, which one would you like that to be bobo let's see you know which one i want to be we're going to save that for the patreon one yeah yeah there's there's only so much we can do in public here yeah we have a really fun one to do for our patreon our our, our members here and if um and if you if you aren't familiar with the show maybe just tune it in for the first time or something we have a members section and if you uh, where you get another you know 35 to 45 minutes or so of content every single week it's slightly more risque it's a little bit less edited it's a little bit more raw and we understand that that's a lot of fun um so it's behind a paywall if you want to do it, it's five bucks a month go to our patreon page um I, that'll also be in the show notes down below if you want to check that out or you can go to our website too um bigfoot be on podcast.com so a lot of fun stuff happens in the membership section yeah so since we're saving that one i'll go with in the neanderthal strain i'll go with the demise of neanderthals may have been a lot sexier than previously thought they may have gone out with a bang ah so to speak <laughs> right <laughs> Well, maybe actually, I don't know. What do you think? Should we save that one to, to make it a thematic thing for the members? Yeah, you know, it really does go together. Do you mind if we go off off topic of this of this a little bit of what we had planned? I yeah, I don't mind a bit. I'm surprised we've remained on topic for so long. There's another great article, um, also in IFL Science, and it's side eye may be more common among primates than we realized. It's because humans aren't the only ones with white eyes, and chimps may use them for communication too. Oh, you know what? I, I didn't see that on our list of stuff in preparation, but I did read that article. It's about how a, a lot of uh, chimpanzees have a white sclera. Yeah, they always thought it was a human trait because we use it for communication because you can see which way the gaze is going if they're averting their eyes to the right or left or up or down. And that side look, you know, like the classic side eye. 
Yeah, casting sidelong glances, right. Now, for people who uh, – people, people are going, what? What's that? Basically, a sclera is the white part of your eye. That's basically it. Um, and I've been really intrigued by this for a long time because so few close Sasquatch witnesses report seeing a sclera. Some do, though. Some do. Um, and I, I think that's really interesting and maybe gives us some insight into Sasquatches and their origin, perhaps. I don't know. But basically, a sclera is the white part of your eye. Um, and they think that we maybe uh, ha- developed a white sclera um, because for communication purposes to e- express something to fellow individuals of our own species. Um, now, gorillas and chimpanzees and the, the other great apes, essentially, they they tend to have a pigmented sclera, kind of a brownish or dark colored sclera, which might indicate that they rely less on this. But apparently a a better survey has been done and a significant percentage of chimpanzees have a white sclera, which means that perhaps they also use their eyes for communication if the hypothesis is true that that's why we have it. What that has to do with Bigfoot as far as I'm concerned. Well, Bobo, what do you think first before I go into my rant about all that stuff? I think in regards to which aspect of it? Well, like what tie this into the Bigfoot thing? Oh, just yeah, how people uh, report them, you know, the facial expressions of a Sasquatch being so human like. But then again, we share a lot of facial. I think they said uh, about 50% of humans and chimps can interpret uh, half of the jet, uh, like a, we can correctly identify, like a human that has no, no formal training or anything like that of studying uh, chimpanzees or gorillas or orangutans that they that we can correctly guess what their emotion is by their facial expression or what they're trying to convey like a message that they you know back off or you know no no audio no growl or thing but like back off or like oh i'm curious or oh you know you're a friend like we can uh, both species can properly identify the other species about half the time but just from facial facial uh, um gestures right yeah well, that's interesting because I've heard a lot of, um, and I'm, I'm not saying that's wrong in any way, but with Sasquatches, I, I've, I've heard a lot of people, um, frankly, misinterpret um, facial expressions in, in a lot of ways. What I, I mean, I could be wrong too. Maybe I'm misinterpreting. I, I'm wide open to that. But um, the, the most prevalent one I hear is that, oh, the Sasquatch smiled at me. The hell it did, man. The hell it did. It absolutely did not smile at you. It showed its teeth at you, which is not a friendly gesture. So actually a stress reaction in ape species. Um, so that's one thing that can be easily misinterpreted by, by far, but you know, this, the sclera thing I think is so interesting because like I said, so many witnesses don't report a sclera. They say the entire eye was dark or black or something like that. And I, and that may have a, that may be part of their nocturnalism in some ways. That's what I think is going on. Um, I think that their iris, which is the colored part of your eye, the iris is just bigger in those things. And your iris is a muscle that opens and sh- and shuts the lens of your eye, the aperture of your eye. And uh, in dark conditions, your iris pulls open the lens so more light can come in. It's like having a larger telescope; it collects more light. Um, and in, in bright light, your your um, your pupil um, crunches. You know, it gets smaller. What's the opposite of dilates? I forget. Contracts, I guess. Um, and you can do this. Like go into a dark room. Like the, like turn off the light in your bathroom. I used to do this with my 10-year-old fifth graders. Um, go into the bathroom and then turn the light off and then just let your eyes adjust and then turn the light on while looking in the mirror and look at your eye. And you will see it immediately contract and your um, your pupil will get much, much smaller. 
That's because it's it, the, the muscles are changing and it's keeping the light out. So it doesn't like overexpose, so to speak, you know? Um, so getting back to the Sasquatch, if their iris is larger in proportion to their already large eyes, that just indicates a very likely an extraordinary large pupillary opening for low light conditions, which probably points to their nocturnalism and generally uh, improved ability to see in the, in the dark over us. Now, do they have great night vision? Do they have a tapetum lucidum, which is that, uh, that shiny reflective layer on the back of so many other mammals eyes? Maybe. Yes. They might. Um, it's it, because what, what is the most prevalent color of eye shine bulbs? It's red, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's the most prevalent. I mean, there are other ones I've heard green and amber a whole lot and there's, and which might indicate a tapetum lucidum, but if that eye shine is red, it, it is my opinion that it's most likely the blood on the back of the retina. Just like when you take a photograph at Christmas or something of your family and there's red eye shine, we don't have a tapetum lucidum. What that red is, is actually blood vessels in the back of our retina. See, I've never seen, what I thought was squatch eye shine has never been red, red, except for like one time. It's always been like a ambery, yellowish green. Yeah, see the green and amber, that makes you think, well, maybe these things are yellow. They do, maybe they do have a tapetum lucidum, which is entirely possible. They would be, I think, the second primate known to have it. There's a small, I think a tarsier or something that has those things. Um, but, but, but it's not known in the other great apes, but that doesn't mean it's impossible. But another possibility is, is that red eye shine thing, which is the most common, might actually just be the blood vessels, just like in humans. And their eyes have such an extraordinary uh, ability to gather light that it reflects it back at you. It's all, it's all open right now, but that's kind of my, my take on it. But then again, I have also spoken to witnesses. Somebody had a road crossing up here a few years back, actually. Uh, I think this is back when I was in the BFRO, too, so I did a report on it. You can go check it out. Maybe that'll be in the show notes. But uh, uh, these guys saw a Sasquatch pretty close on Highway 26 up there past Rhododendron, right past the Tollgate Campground, which is, by the way, where I've, I've personally investigated something like four or five road crossings now, all within the same half mile. It, another one of those spots that keeps popping up. These guys saw this thing burst out of the brush, and he said it was wide-eyed, and it looked panicked, and I could see the whites of its eyes. So maybe they do have white scleras. Maybe they have pigmented ones. Again, more data is needed. Well, champs only 17% have it that they studied so far. So, I mean, maybe it's the same with Sasquatch. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's not a all-or-nothing sort of thing. Like so many times we humans try to put Sasquatches and they all do this or they none of them do this. It's probably a mix match. Now, speaking about um, the sclera and how that might be used for communication, it seems like the natural article to go to next would be the one about how humans and can actually understand a lot of the way chimpanzees are gesturing. Yeah. That's the humans and wild apes share a common language, which is um, from the BBC News, and it's the 25th of January. And basically, the gist is that um, that uh, humans can actually in- understand and interpret a lot of the gestures that's, that uh, chimpanzees are using, um, it, which is really interesting because it turns out human infants use some of those same gestures as well. But that's to be expected. They are our closest relative in the primate family known primate family so far. Um, we have a common ancestor. Uh, now, a very mis- a misconception of evolution is that we evolved from apes. We did not. We have common ancestors. So that's a big difference there. And the last common ancestor between chimpanzees and us was about 6 million years ago. 
And it turns out that, well, if we had those same gestures and they had those same gestures, or we can understand them, that means our common ancestor probably did too. Now, um, there's a couple of uh, pictures in this particular article, and I, I guess we can put that article in the show notes as well. Our listeners have a lot of clicking to do. But some of the stuff I get, like they, they draw, have a little cartoon chimpanzee, and I say, come here, you know, beckoning with fingers pointing down. I get that. That's what I do to Sochi, my dog. When I, when I want her to come here and she's completely ignoring me, I always point to the, the ground in front of me. Um, or there's also a groom me. But there's another one where um, th- this is one. I, have you ever tried this, Bobes? I mean, you have a girlfriend and everything. I've got a wife. But I've never tried this. I'm going to. Um, Let's mate is actually uh, shaking trees. You think that would work? I'm going to try. Yeah, why not, right? Nothing to lose. Sort of a little sleep. Now, I was thinking like, you know, whenever I think about primate behavior and like the the parallels between what the other apes do and what um, humans do, I always think about drunk guys at bars behaviors. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's me too. It, it's basically the same thing, right? Drunk guy at a bar, you know, they, like is basically gesturing and doing all these things that other apes do. Um, but the let's mate thing. So there might not be trees around to shake inside of a bar, but what sort of a flirtatious, uh, aggressive sort of behaviors have you seen in bars from drunk guys? Maybe shake a nerd and push him out of the way. Shake a nerd and push him out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's pretty much it. Right. And, and our, for our ladies who are listening, would that work? I don't know if that would work. <laughs> I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I have no game whatsoever, so I'm not one to say, but I don't think that would work. Cliff, you shake a few nerds in your time at the bar. Well, I've probably been shaken a few times. <laughs> <laughs> Never stirred. <laughs> right, right. Well, anyway, yeah, so I thought that was kind of neat. That, and you know what, what I wanted to bring up with that, um, with this uh, whole gesture thing and humans being able – but I know you've, I know you've taken reports because we've talked about this before, but I've gotten reports of Sasquatches raising their hands. Maybe not both of them at the same time, but one ra- like one hand up in the air. Or, or like uh, that, that Stevenson sighting in the cup two years ago, it raised one its left arm and just stuck straight out from its body at a 90-degree angle. It didn't point or do anything, but the arm just lifted up. Those are, And the guy says, I took that as get the hell out of here, so I did. That's what he told me. Um, what, what have you heard about Sasquatches using gestures? Raising your, like at a distance, raising your hand up and like giving like a wave, like not back and forth, waving back and forth, just raise your arm and give like one wave. When we're in uh, the Hickory Reservation on that, 2004 expedition, Tracy Herigstad, who I'm trying to get on the show, actually, and the Colonel Jones, the other guy we're going to get on the show here coming up, hopefully, she saw she saw the thing grabbing a, a branch. She saw the fingers and it was poking out, looking. Uh, we were coming back down from some old ancient Anasazi ruins. We're in these canyon areas in northern New Mexico. And we as we're coming back, she goes, she's like, oh, she just like was in shock and she's like, Oh my God. And then the thing took off running and then the Colonel ran up after it. And I was, I was behind the Colonel a good ways, probably a hundred yards back or 75 yards back. I took off kind of at an angle heading up the hill. They both went up to, to, as we're going down the trail to the left, this all took on the left hand side. And so the Colonel was directly behind it. Um, it was about 120, 130 yards up to the ridgeline above. By the time the Colonel got up to that, I could see the Colonel, I see him stop, and he's looking uh, to the northeast. And I'm running up, and I get there about probably about four or five seconds after he. I saw him stop and look, and he his eyes were popping out of his head. He said it was huge. It stood there, wait till I, it, 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 where it turned and went behind this uh, mesa, the squatch. It was at least 100, 150 yards away, something like that, somewhere between 150, 100. 
100 yards, um, probably about 120. And it, it just it looked at the colonel. When the colonel stopped and looked at it, it raised its arm up like there, you know, in the wave, like a farewell. And then it, and then it took a step and went behind the mesa. And, we're, and we went up there and chased after it. And where it stood and stepped, it took one step across. It was a 10-foot gap from where it was standing. There was a 10-foot gap, like about a 20-foot drop in between uh, the uh, mesa that came. I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm not doing a very good job of uh, painting a picture, but it, uh, it, was, it was silhouetted. There was, it was all sky behind it. And then to, its, to the right of it, it was facing the colonel. So our left, there was a mesa that popped up vertical there. And it stepped behind it. And we went up there and we were tracking it. And then I, and the track stopped. And I, I was like, no way. I looked up. You could see where it climbed up the backside of the mesa and got on top of the mesa. There was these handholds that were the first couple I could reach. And there was some dust coming down. Like there's and a couple little pebbles came down like real small ones came down, like something had just gone up there. And you could see where the handholds were, where it had been used repeatedly. And there were, you know, some huge gaps. No human could reach, but something 10 foot tall. And judging by the size of it, the colonel guessed it was nine foot. So what do you think the the gesture it made means? Like, what would you think it was doing? I think it was kind of like, you're not even close, buddy. Like, look where I'm at now. And here, you saw me, now I'm gone kind of thing. That's what I took it as. You know, if we do get the colonel on the show, or uh, we could, we should ask him um, what he. Cause he's the guy that did Tracy see it, or did just the colonel? Uh, both. Oh well, if either one comes on the show, we need to ask them what they think. Because according to this article here, um, humans can interpret them uh, just over fifty percent of the time. So that, that's that's not bad. You know, you think, oh, that's well, that's not that good because it's either yes or did they or did they not? Well, when you think of all the different possible um, things to um, communicate, fifty percent is actually really good especially when interspecies communication in this case. Yeah, that's about me and my girlfriend's rate. <laughs> well, you know, um, remember, Creed is an angel, and maybe you're just not <laughs> as, as angelic as you think, you know? <laughs> as far as hand gestures, uh, I've heard some great ones. Um, this one guy was watching through binoculars. He was out elk hunting or something, and he saw uh, a couple of squatches sneaking up on elk, and the, the bigger one was giving directions to the other one, like, like – putting its arms up there and like putting its, its uh, palms down and its hands raised up by its head, then pushing its hands down, like get down, get down. And the other one dropped down lower as it was sneaking up. And then they were like doing the uh, wave forward, you know, like, uh, like, come on, come on, let's go, let's go. You know, wave your hand like that. They were doing that kind of stuff. And I've heard that probably three or four times. And I heard a great one from that old eighties uh, punk band, the weirdos. I've told this story before, but they were, we got a lot of new listeners, so it'll be new to them. But they were driving, like it was, I think it was 1979, 1980. They were driving, they, had a, they played the Catalyst in Santa Cruz the night before a venue. And they had to drive from Santa Cruz up to San Francisco in the morning, which was odd for them because these guys were like, you know, a punk rock band. They, were, they stayed up till four or five in the morning and then slept till noon. But they had to be up there early for a morning show. So they were up at like 7 a.m. driving north on Highway 1 of PCH. They got to uh, north of Anya Nuevo, just right at Anya Nuevo there. And it was, you know, like eight in the morning, whatever. And a female Bigfoot, just like Patty, I guess. Um, I've heard all this stuff secondhand from people that know those guys. I've heard the story numerous times. Held, their, held the female walked in the middle of Highway 1. You know, it's, it's not rush hour there. I mean, there's, but there's cars. And it stopped traffic. And then it motioned with its other hand as it held its hand up. Like, just like a human crossing guard, school crossing guard. You know, held its hand up that the cars coming towards it stop. And then it waved with its other hand. 
for the other ones to come out. And just like I've heard numerous other times, the three young ones came out. They were the size of like junior high, grade school kids. Tallest one in front to the shortest in the back in a single file line. And they scooted across the road. And as soon as they cleared the road, the female looked at the cars and gave a nod like and then walked and just looked at, at the children and walked off after them. <laughs> and all four of them saw it. At least the band's named appropriately then. Yeah, the weirdos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but all four of them swear. Like I know people that I know people that know them well and say, dude, they've been telling the story for forty years. They never change and they all swear it. We gotta get a hold of these guys. I tried. They wouldn't they wouldn't get back to me. Maybe yeah, well, does that make you a bigger weirdo? <laughs> I'm not trying to <laughs> brag or anything, but maybe. <laughs> Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Well, you know, just as a closing thought for this whole, um, we can interpret ape things, um, ape gestures. That one of the closing um, lines in this article really drives it home. Um, and basically, I'm going to read it. it. Says the gestures people can innately understand may form part of what Dr. Graham describes as, and this is a quote: an evolutionarily ancient shared gesture vocabulary across all great ape species including us. If that is true, if that is true, if there is such a thing embedded into our behaviors, um, maybe we can, uh, maybe there's some chance of learning more about Sasquatches by what they are trying to like gesture to us, either directly at us or to one another, if such um, observations arise. So that gives um, researchers who love plowing through old reports, a lot of um, reason to go digging around to try to find, um, occasions where sasquatches are do strange hand things you know while being observed maybe that can shed some light into this and by comparing it to what the other ape species are doing um because we all have the same sort of things we all have the same sort of behaviors just that the the, uh the environment changes like when when apes get stressed out and they break trees well, okay, that's fine if trees are around if there are no trees around like in inside of a house maybe a human would punch a wall it's the same behavior it's the same behavior. So I, uh, the, for people who love to dig through old sighting reports, there you go. Get going. Let me know what you find. Let us know what you find. You can email us at bigfootandbeyondpodcast at gmail.com. All right, Bobo, I think we have time for uh, one more before we go to the member section. The article I'd like to do as the last one here, this one happens to come from New Scientist magazine. And it, it says, living in trees may have given great apes vocal skills for consonants. This is this is interesting to me because I'm wide open to the idea that Sasquatches might have some sort of language or proto-language or just jibber-jabber. Um, I'm not sure what the deal is. I've personally never heard it. I know you have a couple times, Bobo, but I have not. I'd love to hear it. I've heard the recordings from Ron Moorhead, and I've heard a few other very short, isolated sort of blah, 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 things um, on, on recordings, but nothing like the Sierra sounds. That's a that's a, a data set of one, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and I, I, I know Ron. I, I like Ron. I'm assuming that it's real because I don't think Ron. I don't think Ron's a liar by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but until more data comes in, we, we're going to have to say, well, it's a data set of one, and that doesn't get us very far. But um, are they talking to one another? Maybe, quite possibly. You know, I think it's very reasonable. And um, they're saying now that this complex vocal behavior um, probably originated in trees. 
Um, and the reason, their reasoning for this is this, um, and this is based on study of orangutans versus the more ground dwelling apes like chimpanzees and, um, and gorillas. Turns out orangutans have many more, many more sounds that are not vowels. Of course, vowels are all the A, E, I, O, U and every, every, um, inflection and juxtaposition and all those different versions of that. So A could be A, 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 O, anywhere in between. There's a whole gradient of every single one of these vowels, but consonants are pretty special. Consonants are everything else in our, in our alphabet, except for the vowels. Um, so there's 21 of those. Y is kind of a gray area. We'll leave it to that. But there's a lot of other sounds that these things make. And, and the reason they think that this developed in trees is this, is because when you're uh, when you're in trees, one of your limbs, one of your limbs is dedicated to holding you up in the tree at all times, basically. At least one. You have to have your hands, you know, one hand is pretty much on a branch when you're up in a tree, as well as at least one of your legs, etc. So that you're you're really using all your appendages for staying up in the trees. And therefore, um, orangutans in particular use their mouths for a wide variety of things that the other ape species just don't just don't. Um, it basic, and for orangutans, even researchers have said, you know, their mouth is like a fifth hand, which is interesting. Other apes, of course, have very agile lips, etc. Um, but for orangutans, it's a different level altogether. And as it turns out, there's a correlation between orangutans and uh, consonant uses. Consonants are pretty, uh, that term is being used pretty loose here, basically non-vowel sounds. Um, and because orangutans do things like peel fruit with one hand and their mouth, or you know, pick lead, like do all these like fine motor control things. Um, orangutans have developed really fine motor control in their lips and mouth, essentially, and they think that that fine motor control has helped them make a, a much wider variety of sounds, consonant sounds, than the other ground-dwelling apes. They, they listed a whole um, a whole range of these consonant sounds in the article, and I thought it'd be kind of fun, Bobes. And I haven't I didn't approach you about this. I'm just hoping you want to do it. Um, I want to I want to tell you a name of uh, um, one of these consonant noises, and I want to see if you can do it. Okay. Or the, we'll start at easy. Okay. Um, these these consonant noises that the orangutans can make, um, and we're going to see if if you're up to snuff with orangutans. You know, who's who's more um, vocally complex, you or an orangutan? <laughs> The first one is a kiss. Can you make a kiss sound for us, Bobes? Very nice. Very, no wonder <laughs> no wonder Creed is with you. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the consonant noises. Now, I'm not, no, obviously that's not in our alphabet. I don't know what letters would be used for that, but that was very nice. Kiss noises are, are one of these consonant noises, and that's kind of a complex thing. Think about what your mouth just did. You know, that's kind of a complex thing that d- demands a lot of fine motor control. Makes sense. Okay, the next sound that they have listed, Bobo, is scrapes. I'm not sure what that is, but let's see what your interpretation is. I can't make a scrape sound with my mouth, no. Okay, um, Bobo 1, orangutan 1, it's tied up. Um, the next one is clicks. Can you make a, you can make clicking noises. There you go, okay. All right, so Bobo 2, orangutan 1. Um, the next one is raspberries. No, Bobo, do it with your mouth this time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So Bobo three orangutan one, and the last one that they listed um, it was smacks. Does that count? Yeah. Yeah. Bobo, you did. You did very very well. 
You did very better than a lot of people probably expected. That's the Bobo four orangutans one. I beat you, you damn hairy ape. <laughs> yeah, so you did very, very well. Um, you must be very proud. I, I am actually. I'm going to call my mom after this. <laughs> yeah, and one final note is that uh, most of these consonant noises apparently may, are made while uh, they're building nests, communicating in other ways or alarms, which makes sense. You know, I think communicating is kind of a, a throwaway line there because clearly they're communicating through making noises, unless they're doing it for themselves for fun. Uh, you know, so I, I was thinking about because, like, uh, you know, we evolved over in Africa and they spread out into Asia. Is that we stuck mostly? We came from warm, you know, more tropical environments. And those trees are like, they evolved like because they walked by people in the trees because they had those those big like acacia type trees, you know, with the long, parallel to the ground branches, like where you can walk. Whereas, like if they were evolving in an evergreen forest, they wouldn't be up in the trees like that, you know, like by people they'd be climbing the whole time. That's true, and you know, there of course there were a lot of a lot more different ape species in more temperate environments just that the only um, extant species now the relict species we have now happen to be all tropical right yeah but still it, it, we all came from there you know we all came from that style of forests back in the day our, our last common ancestor um so they must have been doing something similar to this you'd think yeah but orangutans have developed so much more by being largely uh, arboreal since then and of course, the bipedalism in trees, that's a whole article we didn't even get to today. That's another whole thing where bipedalism probably evolved in trees more than the savanna idea of them running across the savanna. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was reading about that, too. Yeah, we can, we'll save that for next time because I, I enjoy these. I, I, I like these topical discussions. Yeah, I think they're, they're really cool. And it'd be great if the listeners, if you had an article you'd like to sh- share with us uh, that we can share with the rest of the people, we'd be glad to hear from you. Yeah, so if you find an article that you think has something to do with Sasquatches, even tangentially, like we, we've we been doing here, yeah, send it to us and shoot us a link. At, uh, you can email us, you know, bigfootandbeyondpodcast at gmail.com, or you can go to our website, bigfootandbeyondpodcast.com, and hit the contact button and let us know about it. Um, we, maybe we'll pick your article. We'll give you some credit for it on the air. So Yeah, so I guess it's about time to go beyond Bigfoot and Beyond. Yeah, let's take it beyond now. And there are a couple articles here that we wanted to talk about that – Perhaps we shouldn't do in the regular episode. We should put that one uh, for our members only. So let's go take care of that. We got a mature audience, Cliff. They can handle it. Yeah, our audience is mature, but the hosts, I don't think so. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, who would have chose these articles? Oh, that's right. It was us. There might be some giggling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> listen to us giggle for 45 minutes on Beyond Bigfoot and Beyond. All right, folks. Well, that's another episode of Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. Thanks so much for joining us, and we appreciate those uh, good ratings you're giving us. So, if you could, if you haven't already, hit five stars and give us a good review. It helps grow the show. And so, until next week, y'all keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 